Lord Jesus, the servant king, help us now to hear your call to follow you, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to you, our servant king. Amen. Each year, the newspapers have a report on the most popular baby names of the previous year. Uh, For Northern Ireland, the most recent data is from the year 2017. And the most popular girls' names in 2017 were Emily, Grace, Olivia, Isla and Anna. And the top boys' names were James, Jack, Noah, Charlie and Jacob. One boy's name that didn't make the top 10, probably didn't make the top 100, and may not have been given to any babies at all, was the name that we're considering tonight, Judas. Two of Jesus' 12 disciples were called by that name, but Judas has entered the popular culture as a name for a traitor. For a betrayer. So it's no surprise that you don't really find any, maybe even any, uh, baby Judases running around these days. All week uh, we've been focusing on the characters around the cross, and tonight we turn our attention to Judas. Not the other Judas, but Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. So how did it all end up the way that it did? Why is Judas so infamous? And what might we learn from him? That's our focus this evening and we'll be mainly in the sections that Heather read for us. So it would be good to have the Pew Bible open at page 996. It's on that page and in Matthew 26 uh, that we find Jesus and the disciples sharing in the Passover meal. It's the night before Jesus is crucified or as our communion service puts it, on the night that he was betrayed. But up to this point, the disciples are unaware of the presence of a betrayer in their midst. Only John, in John chapter 6, remembers that after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had delivered some hard teaching, and some of the wider crowd of disciples had stopped following Jesus. They had gone away from him. And Jesus says to the twelve in John chapter 6, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter says those memorable words, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now it's at this point that Jesus says to the twelve, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Now John in his chapter 6 adds in a little note as to who Jesus means. But at this point none of the disciples 
suspected that Judas was a false brother. None of them imagined that he would betray Jesus. You see, we already know about Judas. Even when you looked at the service sheet tonight, you probably knew what was coming. And every time you get a list of the 12 in the Gospels, Judas's name is always last, and it always comes with the one who would betray Jesus. So we know in advance what's about to happen. But the disciples don't know at this point. You can see just how much of a bombshell the prospect of betrayal was in verse 21. Look at it with me. It says, while they were eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Look at verse 22 again. What did the disciples not do in verse 22? What did they not do? They didn't all turn around to Judas and go, it's him. I knew all along it was him. They don't do that. They say, could it be me? Surely not I, Lord. They were all sad. They were all worried that it might be them. They were all afraid that they might be the one who betrayed Jesus. But Judas knew that it was him. He had held back, not saying anything. And then Jesus says, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas echoes the words of the other disciples. But do you notice how they're different? The other disciples said, Surely not I, Lord. Judas says, Surely not I, Rabbi. He refers to Jesus as Rabbi, as teacher but not as Lord. And then Jesus confirms that it is indeed Judas. In John's eyewitness account, Judas leaves the Passover feast. He goes outside and and John remembers this little detail. And it was night. The darkness of the night reflecting the darkness of Judas' estate. The next time that we meet Judas is later on in at Matthew 26, uh, on the other side of the page, verse 47. Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. It seems that this was a regular place for him to go and meet with his disciples. And it's there that Judas brings a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. You can imagine that in the darkness, 
with so many people around and without any images or wanted posters or artist's impressions of what Jesus looked like, the soldiers needed some way of knowing who it was that they had to arrest. And so Judas had a signal for them. 48. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Judas's betrayal is sealed with a kiss. That sign of love becomes the signal of betrayal. Jesus is seized and arrested and is taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, and begins the last journey towards the cross. So far up to this point, we've been tracking with the disciples. We've been experiencing the events as they unfolded for them. But just before our reading, we're told how Judas ended up leading the mob to arrest Jesus. So go back to verse 14 of Matthew 26. It says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. In my study, uh, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of books. And um, two walls of the study our commentaries, books about each book of the Bible, so that, you know, as you work through a passage, you can see what other people have thought of it to uh, try to help. And people who write commentaries have lots of different theories as to why Judas did what Judas did. Some reckon that he was expecting Jesus to defeat the Romans. There were many zealots Uh, in Israel at the time, nationalists who hoped to take back their country from the invading enemy. And so they reckoned that hopes had been high when Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey. And they waited for the uprising to start. But it never came. So was Judas trying to provoke Jesus into doing something? Was he trying to start a fight? Perhaps he was just disillusioned with the way things were going. Luke, uh, in his gospel, records that Satan entered Judas. John says something similar, how the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So was Judas just the unfortunate pawn? The one that the devil picked to do his bidding. And I think there's more to it than that. You see, back in verse 14, how does the verse start? What's the first word? Shout it out. Then. Now, what does then mean? It's, It's a sequence thing, isn't it? So this thing happened, and then this thing happened. Uh, And so um, the thing that comes after the then is Judas going to the chief priests and betraying Jesus. But what comes before in the sequence? What comes before the then? 
It's what we looked at last night. Mary's extravagant outpouring of worship as she poured out her expensive perfume on, on the head and the feet of Jesus. And remember, John tells us it was Judas who criticised Mary's actions, seemingly because the perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor. But John also tells us that Judas was a thief, that he helped himself to the contents of the common money bag. It's then, after Mary's devotion and Jesus' rebuke of Judas, that Judas turns to the chief priests, offering to betray Jesus. But notice that he doesn't just offer to betray Jesus. He asks a question. He says, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Where Mary had offered true devotion, Judas was out for himself. Could the selling of Jesus be another symptom of his profiteering, of his selfishness, of his disregard for anyone but himself? By Matthew chapter 27, Jesus has been sent on to Pilate, having been condemned by the Jewish leaders. Judas appears to relent. He is facing conviction, but does Judas repent? Verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Judas declares that he has sinned. He returns the coins. But is this remorse or repentance? What's going on here? You see, Paul in 2 Corinthians compares godly sorrow with worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow is that kind of, I'm sorry I've been caught out, rather than I'm sorry that I've done this. So which is it that Judas is experiencing. Or think about it another way. Tomorrow evening, we'll look at Peter, who denies that he knows Jesus. What's the difference between the two? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter knows the joy of restoration. Because he knows that Jesus died for him. Was that true of Judas? I don't think so. Remember Jesus' words in uh, 26.64? Uh, sorry, 26.24. It would be better for him 
if he had not been born. In passing, just while we're here in this chapter, did you notice the hypocrisy of the chief priests? Judas has thrown the money down, but they say to themselves that they can't put the money back into the treasury because it was blood money and it was illegal to do that. The same blood money that they had no qualms about paying out of the treasury in the first place to make sure that Jesus would die. But even in their hypocrisy, they were, they were fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy of the price put on the head of Jesus. The price of a slave. 30 silver coins. There may not be any hope for Judas in the scriptures. But we may well learn from him and from his experience. So what does Judas show us? What should we take away with us tonight? He shows us that not everyone who is numbered among the disciples is a disciple. Judas was among the twelve, He had a position of responsibility, and yet he was a devil. Money was his God, and everything was to be sacrificed in pursuit of his God, even the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said on another occasion? What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For 30 silver coins? For 30,000 silver coins? Would it be worth it? And yet the other disciples didn't even suspect that Judas was rogue. That he was uh, the one who would betray Jesus. And Judas therefore tells us how much we need the grace of our Lord Jesus. Grace to make us true disciples. That we would not think of betraying him for gain. The grace that would give us a godly sorrow for our sin and real repentance and the reality of restoration. Because the truth is that each day we do fail our Lord. Each day we sin against him in any number of ways. But each day we can find what Judas did not find. We can find the Lord's forgiveness when we confess our sin to him. 
Oh, for his grace, that we would know the power of the cross, that we really would follow in the way of the cross, that we would glorify our Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that this is a hard word to hear, a hard subject to think about. So, Lord, we need your grace. We need your help. Help us, Lord, to know that we are yours as we trust in Christ. Help us to have tender consciences. Help us to know the joy of sins forgiven. And may we walk closely with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.